43 years, you know, we've been looking for the Lord to come. That's how long it's been since we got saved, and, and we were taught and instructed in the Bible the, about the imminent return of Christ, and I'll tell you, I'm looking for him today, and never been a more, more evidence that his return is nigh than the things we see going on in our world today, so I thank the Lord for that. As we're preparing our hearts for the uh, special and then the, the message in a moment from the Gospel of Mark, I just want to say what a blessing it was this past week to have Brother Jerry Locke with us and the sermons that we heard, the messages from the Word of God. We've never uh, given an entire revival time, uh, a Sunday through Wednesday, to, the, to one subject like we did this, but it was... It was so encouraging, so powerful. If you missed any of those, of course, they're available, I think, online for you to see them. But I just appreciate the faithfulness of our people. We had outstanding attendance and good spirit, and the word of God was so encouraging. We thank the Lord for it. All right, listen to the song, and then we'll bring the word of God, all right? Foundations have been shaken when I'm left standing in the dark, and all I feel is my heart breaking. You still reign, and you're still God, and when it feels all hope has faded. My enemies surround me, 
trust the victory of your cross and fix my eyes upon you Jesus for you are God and I am not you are good and you are faithful as you have been from the start you work all things for your glory you still reign and you're still God though I can't see what's before me I know I can trust your heart Praise the Lord. What an encouraging reminder that God still reigns. He's still God. And and that's in all times. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even in pandemics, even in uh, times of social unrest, He still reigns and He's still God. I needed that. And the devil tries to convince us that he's not with us. And, um, you know, that song prior to that, that congregational song, um, It Is Well, when Satan buffets us, and he does buffet us as he buffeted Paul, but God still reigns, and he's still God. So, amen. We're going to be in Mark's gospel this morning, Mark chapter 11. I'd invite you to find that in your Bible. Once again, good to have guests with us today. Thank you for joining us as we worship together. I've so looked forward to this morning because it is the Lord's Day and because we need these times together to fellowship, to worship, and to uh, just learn and grow together. I'm very thankful for it. And uh, we're going to continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark. And I'd invite you to stand. We're in Mark chapter 11. We'll uh, let me just give you a little bit of review as you're standing and have your Bible open. Hope you have your Bible open there to Mark chapter 11. Just to sort of uh, bring us up to date, we weren't uh, in Mark last week because we had a guest speaker. But in verse 11 of chapter 11, it says, And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. So that's his first uh, entry into Jerusalem, not ever, but for this last uh, entrance when he will eventually suffer and die on the cross for us. So verse 11, we see him entering into the Jerusalem in the temple. He surveyed the area. He looked around about all things. And then he left in the evening and went a few miles to Bethany with the disciples where he would spend the evening. Then verse 12, we see that he comes back on the morrow. When they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And that's when he saw the, he cursed that fig tree. And after that, he went into Jerusalem in verse 15 and into the temple. And there 
he uh, began to throw the money changers and cleanse the temple of all the corruption that was there. And verse 19 says, at the evening of that day, when the evening was come, he went out of the city. And then if you see in verse 20, which says that in the morning, so the very next day, this is the third day of the week that he's been going and coming from uh, to Jerusalem from Bethany. In the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree. That's when Jesus gave them this uh, teaching about the cursing the fig tree and application uh, to our lives and especially to Israel. And that brings us to verse 27. This is the same day where Jesus explained to the disciples about the cursing of the fig tree and they're moving toward Jerusalem. Now we'll begin reading in verse 27. And they come again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, there come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders and say unto him, By what authority doest thou these things? Who gave thee this authority to do these things. Now this was not just a casual meeting as he's walking. This is a planned meeting by a large group of religious leaders and they confront him with the question about his authority. Who gave the authority to do these things? And Jesus answered in verse 29 and said unto them, I will also ask of you one question and answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, talking about John the Baptist, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Did God originate that or did it originate with men? Answer me, Jesus said. Verse 31, and they reasoned with themselves, saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? They didn't believe John the Baptist, this group of people. If we say that he came from God, then what are we going to say when he asks us, then why didn't you believe him? Verse 32, but if we shall say of men, if we say this wasn't of God, it was just a movement of men. If we shall say of men, in verse 32, they feared the people. For all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. Verse 33, and they answered. They finally got their heads together and they came up with an answer, brilliant answer. They answered and said unto Jesus, we cannot tell. No comment. And Jesus answering saith unto them, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage, this wonderful record of those days, those final days there in Jerusalem. And God, as we pray today, we just pray for your help. We pray for your guidance we pray the Spirit of God would be our teacher. Help us to be attentive, to make the most of these moments. And Lord, we thank you for this blessed book we have before us. The word that you've magnified even above your own name. And from it today we look to you. And with it we look to you for wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So verse 27 gives us this record that Jesus is entering into the temple. Now again, just think about what's taken place. It's been going on for a couple of days. The day just prior to this, Jesus had driven these corrupt and scandalous crooks right out of the temple. 
physically removed them. And now he's going right back into that same temple. You can, so you can just feel, I can feel the tension. Imagine the drama as, as Jesus comes back into the temple. It says in verse 27 that he was walking in the temple. And I think that's significant. He wasn't, it wasn't just like they confronted him as he walked through the, the door, probably the eastern gate there that goes into Jerusalem. He, but he's been walking in the temple. Luke tells us he was walking around and teaching and preaching the gospel. As a matter of fact, hold your finger here in Mark and go to the right, if you would, please. And let's look, look together in Luke chapter 19 where Luke writes about this a same period of time, this same incident. Luke chapter 19 and verse 45. Let's just read through this and notice where we are. Luke 19, 45. And he went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein and them that bought. That's the day previous, saying unto them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Then in verse 47. And he taught daily in the temple. So all day he's teaching, walking around. Mark says he's walking around, teaching. But the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him. While he's teaching the people, this group of people are walking around, plotting and conspiring how they can kill Jesus, how they can destroy him. Verse, 20, verse 48, and could not find what they might do for all the people were very attentive to hear him. They didn't know how to pull this off because the people were so attentive to the teaching of Jesus. Then look in verse 1 of chapter 20. And it came to pass that on one of those days, as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came unto him with the elders and spake unto him, saying, here's the question we're looking at in Mark chapter 11, tell us by what authority doest these things? So you see, it's relatively the same commentary. Let's go back to Mark 11 if we could, except with some details that I think make this, this entrance into the temple very noteworthy, and that is that Jesus hadn't just walked in. He's been walking around teaching groups of people, and he's been doing that, as we've noticed several times. He does it all day. The temple area was a large area perhaps a number of acres if you talk about the general outside area of the temple. And Jesus is just going around teaching groups of people, preaching the gospel. We can only imagine, speculate about what he was preaching, but we know this from the word of God. And, he, and while he's doing it, his critics are conspiring to try to kill him. And so they, they get together and they come to him with an authority question. Where did you get this authority? These religious leaders, chief priests, the Bible says, scribes and elders, where did you get the authority to do what you're doing? And on the surface, we might wonder, without thinking it through, well, what things is, are they referring to? How do you, where did you get the authority to do what you're doing? And I want to say the thing that stands out in my mind was the day before what he had done as he drove these money changers out of the temple, as he turned the tables over as he, he began to throw out these corrupt money changers. To me, this is Jesus' version of draining the swamp, turning it upside down. These religious crooks, they were part of the swamp monsters 
that controlled the swamp, presided over the corrupt, hypocritical religious system, and Jesus had no interest, no respect for it. So, so they ask him, who gave you this authority in verse 28? We're in Mark eleven twenty-eight. 28. Who gave thee this authority in the last part of the verse to do these things? Where did you get your permission? They knew the Sanhedrin, the ruling body, they knew the Sanhedrin did not give him the permission. They didn't approve of this. Now we're just going to look at what we see here in the latter part of verse 11. But, but this, this continual dialogue with these religious people continued really through the next chapter. We'll deal with more of those in the weeks to come. So Jesus, if you look back with me in verse 29, Jesus answered their question with a question. I will also ask, you, ask of you one question and answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, he brings up John the Baptist's ministry and baptism. The baptism of John the Baptist, was it from heaven or of men? Now that's not a trick question. It may seem like it's a trick question, just look, but it's not. It's a very simple question. And as we look at it together, it's a question that they should readily know the answer to. It's a direct question. These are religious leaders. This is their livelihood, their occupation, their scholars, their experts in the law. And they knew John the Baptist. They knew his message. They knew his ministry. As a matter of fact, they knew his family. Because John's dad, Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, was also a priest. You remember? And he was in Luke chapter 1, he was going into the priest, fulfilling his duty in the, in the temple, I should say, fulfilling his duty. And uh, when, when he found out that he was going to, he and Elizabeth were going to have a child. They knew this man. They knew the family. They knew, they knew this great story, how John and Elizabeth, who were past the years of being able to have children, that God intervened and they were be able to have a son in their old age. But he was not just a son. He was the prophesied forerunner of the Messiah, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, the messenger that would precede the Christ. John began his ministry. When he began his ministry, crowds came to hear him preach, and crowds came to hear what he had to say and see him baptize. And often these same people were in the, in the crowd. These Pharisees, these religious leaders, these Sadducees, they came to hear John. And what did John preach? He preached the imminent appearance of the Messiah, that the Messiah will follow me, and that if you believe on him who will come, you need to repent of your sins and be baptized. And uh, many people were baptized. Lots of people were baptized. In the book of Acts, Paul referred to John's ministry, and he said this. Now, I'm so, you say, why are you talking about all this? Because here's the question. What do you think about John's ministry? Was, it sent, was he from heaven or was he of men? This is what Paul said about John's message in the book of Acts. John, John the Baptist, verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people, this is what John said to people, that they should believe on him which should come after him. Believe on the one who's going to come after me own Christ Jesus. So for them, for Jesus to say, okay, I'll answer your question, but you answer my question first. 
John the Baptist, what do you think about his ministry? Was it from heaven or was it from men? That's a logical question. That's a reasonable question. I mean, they shouldn't even have to think about it. These people, don't tell me these people haven't spent three years thinking about John the Baptist's ministry. Because that's how long it's been. By the way, this is still a relevant question for us today. We're not going to spend time on this, but John's baptism. John's baptism was different than many baptisms you see today. Was John's baptism of God or of men? His baptism was by immersion. His baptism was after faith in the Messiah. His baptism, John's baptism, was the only baptism Jesus himself would submit to. Traveled a great distance from Nazareth all the way to the Jordan River that he, Jesus, could be baptized by John. So, and by the way, the people, the converts of John, those who turned to the Messiah, those who trusted in the Christ that would come, were baptized. They, they made up this group of followers that Jesus would form into a church. So, here's the question. You tell me, gentlemen, um, the baptism of John, was it of heaven or of men? And then I'll answer your question. And so look, let's look at how they responded in verse 31. And they reasoned with themselves. Now this question, they've had three years to think about it. That's how long since John was out baptizing. But they've got to conduct this meeting. We've got to get together and talk this out. And so they have this meeting in verse 31. They reason with themselves. And this is what they begin to say. I can just almost see them huddling up. You know, we've got to answer this question. How are, we going to, how are we going to answer this question? And notice what it says. They reason with themselves in verse 31 saying, If we shall say from heaven, if we say that John's ministry was divine in its origin, that it came from God, then he will say, Jesus will say, Why then did you not believe him? We can't say we believe that John was of God because then he's going to say, Well, then why didn't you believe him? Verse 32, but if we shall say that it was of men, if we, were to, if we were to say to Jesus, we don't believe John's ministry was divine in its origin. We don't believe he came, he was sent from God. We believe it was just of men. Verse 32, they feared the people. For all the men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. So they're, they're stuck. These religious leaders are stuck. This this dreaded place, this proverbial place between a rock and a hard place. What are we going to say? If we say this, he's going to do this. If we say this, they're going to do that. So they're reasoning within themselves. The, the question's not complicated. When John, the beloved, John the apostle, John the brother of James, wrote in the gospel of John, he said this very simple, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Not difficult, is it? Not complicated. But it was for them. By the way, when you fail to nail down some things doctrinally and spiritually, you have a tendency to be confused about things that ought to be very simple. And these fellows just couldn't figure it out. And the reason is because they're hypocrites. 
They're liars, they're deceivers, they're hypocrites. And they're being challenged to define and declare their position. Now, I would like to suggest a reason, and I'm sure there are more reasons, but I'd like to suggest a reason that I personally think that Jesus, when he asked them a question, said, I'm going to ask you a question, took them all the way back to John. Why did he take them all the way back? Now, again, you've got to understand, there's several years have transpired. Why did he go all the way back to John and ask them their position about John? I mean, they knew who John was. They knew John had been beheaded, right? Beheaded because he confronted the king about his adulterous relationship. But here's why Jesus took him back to John is because they rejected. Now, this is, this, I think it's simple, but I think it's important. Because this group of people rejected the message and the ministry, the truth and the revelation of John. John's ministry wasn't about himself. It was about Jesus. Matter of fact, John said, I'm not even worthy to unloose the latchet of his shoes. There cometh one after me greater than me. It wasn't about John. It was about Jesus. And they rejected the gospel. They rejected the truth. They rejected God. This was God's revelation. John was God's planned, prophesied, prescribed revelation to people who've been looking for the Messiah for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And John came on the scene saying he's about to appear. They rejected that. They rejected his message. They rejected the truth. And by the way, they never changed. For three years, they never changed from that position. They were still rejected him. Now, this is serious because this has personal application and implication. That is this. When a person rejects truth, God is under no obligation to give us more truth till we obey the truth and respond to the truth he's given us. So three years prior to this... God sent them a messenger. Had a diet of locusts and wild honey. And had a animal skins covered about him, a girt about with these. He, he, but he was God's messenger. But they rejected him. Listen, he, they rejected truth. And now three years later, they're going to be asking Jesus questions. Jesus said, wait a minute, you better ask... I want you to answer the first question first. Before, before you talk to me about my authority, I want to ask you about the very first revelation. Now, young person, please hear me today. Because this is what this is what reason I emphasize this. If we reject God's truth, if God gives us truth, and by the way, God, God does give us truth. Every day he gives us truth around us. We reject that truth. God is not under any obligation to give us more truth. Till we deal with the truth that he's given us. They refuse to do that. They refuse to receive that. And so they begin to discuss among themselves the potential fallout from their answer. There's going to be big gentlemen. I don't know who took the lead in the conversation. But there's going to be some fallout no matter what we say. As we've already looked at in verse 31. They said if we say that John was from heaven. If we say that God sent John then Jesus is going to say, why didn't you believe him? Because you know what? They did not believe John. They didn't believe him originally. They didn't believe him today. They never believed him. They didn't believe his credentials. They didn't believe that he came from God. 
If you're sitting here today, and I don't know if this would be true of anyone, but if you're sitting here today and you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is Lord, that he is Messiah, that he is King, that he is Savior, that he is Christ, that he's Master, that he's the Creator, if you believe that, then you ought to confess that and serve him with your life. Don't be like these people were. They didn't want to commit themselves. Reminds me of those people who assembled on Mount Carmel when Elijah called all these false prophets together on Mount Carmel. It says, how long halt ye between two opinions? If, if the Lord be God, then serve him. And if Baal's God, then follow him. Most of you would know the answer. It says this, and they answered him not a word. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said to us, but it's, and it's about things like this. If we confess him before men, he'll confess us before his Father in heaven. But if we deny him before men, think about this young person. If we deny him before men, he will deny us. So these guys are in this predicament. They're in this dilemma. What are we going to do? If we say that it's of God, then... He's going to say, why didn't you believe? Or, verse 32, if we say it's of men, if we say it, it, it's of human origin, it's just another movement that man came up with, look what it says in verse 32, they feared the people. You know why? Because the people respected John. The people believed that John was a prophet. I'm not going to turn to it, but in Luke's gospel, again, when he's writing about this, this is what he said. The, the, the men said, the leaders said, these religious people said, if we say of men, and here's the quote from Luke's gospel, all the people will stone us. If we say that we believe that John was just a man, they're going to kill us. These people didn't fear God. I'm trying to get you to see who they were, these religious people that came to Jesus. They didn't fear God. And they didn't fear John, but they feared the people. You know, that's a bad place to be. I think I was there one place in my life before I got saved, when I was a young person that grew up in church. Mom took us to church. I'd even made professions of faith in church. I'd been baptized, but I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. You know, one of the things that kept me, young person, I hope you're listening to me today. You know, one of the things that kept me from really getting my heart right with God, it was what other people thought. My friends, what will they think if I get religion? What will they think? What will they think if I take a stand? There are people sitting here today, I'm confident. The thing that's standing between you and you having a vital relationship with God is you care more about what your friends think than what God thinks. That's where these people were. The people may kill us. You know, none of these things, if we just think about it today, none of these things should have an impact on our profession, on our, what we say, on where we stand and what we believe. Not what other people think. Not about popularity. Not about whether it'll help us or hurt us. Those things are not even factors that ought to be considered. Here's what ought to be considered. We want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Just give us the truth. It may make us popular, it may, it may reduce our enemies, it may increase our enemies. 
People may pat us on the back. People may criticize us. But those things don't matter as much as just what does the Bible say. These religious leaders could not articulate that position. You know, this gets to the root to me really of um, how serious their problem was. And that is this. They didn't really want the truth. They, they had no appetite for the truth. They had a religious system. They were okay with that. They had control over that religious system. But they weren't really interested in what truth. They weren't interested in what Jesus had to say. Can you imagine? Think about this. For three years, Jesus has been making his way, primarily in Galilee, but also in Judea, sometimes in Samaria. Jesus has been teaching and preaching, and people are being baptized. Large crowds are coming. Miracles are being performed. You know what these religious people, you'd think they'd be doing? You'd think they'd be showing up every morning early saying, I want to hear what this man's got to say. But they didn't care. They weren't interested in what Jesus had to say. And again, this is a reminder for me. When I read this, I, I see many applications for our own life. And this is another one. We need to determine things that are of God and things that are of man. You know, people say, well, that's just his opinion. If that's all, it, talking about a preacher, talking about a friend, that's just their opinion. Maybe people at work do that. Well, that's just their opinion. You know what? If it is just a man's opinion, we ought to acknowledge that. But if it's God's opinion, we ought to acknowledge that. What does the Bible say? I mean, what, is, what does God's word have to say? What about the Bible? What about the Bible position on salvation? Is it just our opinion or is it God's opinion? What about parents' responsibility? What about your responsibility as a mom or a dad to bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Is that just an opinion of man or is that God's opinion? And, and when you know it's God's opinion, it changes the way we look at it. It changes the way we feel about it. You know, God, the, I'm going to get back to the text in a moment, but the gospel calls us to make commitments. Not just to hear messages, but to make commitments. Make commitments to God. Make commitments to Jesus Christ. Make commitments to the, to the Bible. And if, you're, if your relationship with Jesus Christ is not moving you to make genuine, sincere commitments to the revelation of God, you need to look at that today. What kind of commitments are we making? And a lot of times we see that there's a lack of commitment. You know, this week, um, I've heard a lot of positive comments about our meeting. In one of the sessions, I think it was Monday night, was a, the session about the blood-bought history of Baptists and about martyrs and people who refused refused to recant their faith. They would rather go to a fire, the fire of a, a being burned at the stake or being beheaded or whatever it may be, rather than compromise on their doctrine. And every time I hear those things, I'm inspired. I, I think most people are. These are not, these are not just made-up fictional fairy tales. These are, these are historic events. These are our forefathers spiritually. They stood strong. They wouldn't compromise. And yet, at the same time we're doing that, then we look at our life and we're not willing to make simple sacrifices, give up just a little bit for the cause of Christ. I'm just saying, God calls us to commitment. Jesus called everybody he ever called, he called to a commitment, a public commitment and confession and profession. 
So what did they answer? Look in verse 33. And they answered Jesus. I'd like to know how long they talked about it. Personally, it's not in the Bible. I'd love to know. But they answered and said unto Jesus, we cannot tell. We don't have an answer. We don't know. We can't say. You know what? They were cowards. They were liars. They were deceivers. They were hypocrites. They were evil. Not one of them would stand up for the truth. Not one of them had the spiritual fortitude to say, I believe that John the Baptist was sent from God. Not one of them would say that. Or they, neither would they say, we, we believe he was a heretic. They wouldn't say that either. We believe he was a false teacher. They wouldn't say that either. It wasn't that they couldn't tell the truth. It's that they wouldn't tell the truth. They had no interest in truth. Here they've been for days now. For days, Jesus is going around. We've read about it. Jesus going around the temple, teaching people, pockets of people, groups of people, different lessons. You know what they're doing? They're sneaking around trying to find how to conspire against him. Pretty evil stuff. Matter of fact, earlier they said this about Jesus, not in this setting, not in this place, but they said that he was of the devil. Isn't that a a horrible thing to say about Jesus? They said, we can't tell. So how did Jesus respond? Look in verse 33. And they answered and said unto Jesus, we cannot tell. And Jesus answering saith unto them, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Please listen carefully as we think about this response of Jesus. I'm not going to tell you. Neither do I tell you. To me, this is like Jesus saying, I have nothing more to say to you. I'm I'm done with you. I'm through communicating with you. If you won't be honest and, and make a position, take a position on this important issue, then I'm through with you. I'm through communicating with you. And when I look at that in that light, to me, that is a very serious declaration of Jesus. It's a dreadful, to me, fearful, terminal statement. I'm done with you. Look up here and listen. Think about that. Think about Jesus saying, I'm done with you. And lest a person says, well, I just think Jesus is always obligated to be there every time we want Jesus to be there for us. I'd love for you to give me a chapter and verse on that because it's not there. There are people in the Old Testament where Jesus said, don't even pray for these people. That's what what the Bible, God says, don't even pray for these people. I'm done with them. What if Jesus were to say that? Now just think about this. What if you or I or anyone crossed that line in our own life? How did they get there? Here's how they got there. They got there by ignoring his commands. They got there by ignoring his message. They got there by not receiving and believing what he was saying. Until finally there came a day when Jesus said, Gentlemen, I'm finished. I'm finished. 
That makes this matter to me of how we respond to truth take on a different light. Because the same thing could happen to any of us. And so that's a sad ending, isn't it? Neither tell I thee. I'm not going to tell you. And if you're here today and you know that God has been dealing with your heart, maybe today, maybe in recent weeks, maybe for years or months or whatever the case may be, but you know you're not, you're not, you know you're not affirming what Jesus is saying. You're not believing, you're not committing to what Jesus is saying. Maybe, maybe for the same reasons, maybe for different reasons, people seem to have their reasons. I think the reason some people, when you look at their spiritual growth, it's like there's nothing there. There's nothing there today. There's nothing there next month. There's nothing there um, 10 months from now, a year from now, five years from now. Nothing has changed. And you know what I think about some of that? I think some of it's because they just said no at some point. I'm just not going to follow Jesus. That's a serious place to be. And what if Jesus had said to someone, Okay. It's kind of like Romans chapter 1. I gave them up. I gave them over. And if I was here today, I'd, I'd rethink that position. I would rethink that position of saying, well, I'm not, I'm not going to make a commitment. I'm not going to take him seriously. You ought to be, you ought to be thinking today, maybe, that's, maybe I need to rethink that position. Well, I want to answer the question, and then we're done that Jesus never gave them. Where did Jesus get his authority? That was the question. Where'd you get your authority? By the way, that's a good question. It's a relevant question. Who gave Jesus the authority for his message? Who gave him his authority for his ministry? Who gave him his authority for his actions? Turning over tables and running crooks out of the temple. Who gave him this authority? I want to tell you something today. Jesus had absolute authority. When he spoke to that fig tree, it died. When he spoke to Lazarus several days dead and said, come forth, Lazarus' dead body took on life and appeared in the middle of that cave. When he, when he was out on the storm-tossed seas of the Sea of Galilee and he said to the winds and the waves, cease, the winds and the waves obeyed him instantly, promptly, obediently when he spoke to demons and said to come out they responded and fleed from him he has all authority he has authority to forgive sins he has authority to save lives he was he was sent from heaven he came born of a virgin Jesus Christ was not a of human origin he came from heaven born of a virgin Sent from heaven to be our Savior. He never hid this. He claimed throughout his ministry to have come from heaven. He claimed to be in union with his heavenly Father. He claimed that when he said words, these are not my words, I'm saying the words that the Father gave me. When he did deeds, he said, these are not my actions, these are the actions of the Father that sent me. He had all authority. And aren't you glad he does today? We come. I love this portion of scripture. It's like every, every story holds so much for us to know, to learn, to act upon. 
And what will we do with it? What will you do with it? If you're sitting here today and you've never responded to Jesus' call to repent and believe on Jesus Christ for your salvation, what are you going to do with that? Put it off? Gamble with your eternal soul? I would say a better, more reasonable, wiser response would be, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You could do that today. You should do that today. And what about those of us who know him? This, this passage and so many others in the scripture remind us of the importance of obedience to Christ, following Jesus Christ, letting him have his way, working, cooperating with him, taking up his yoke and following him. May it be the desire of every person in this room today. I just want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not just a listener, certainly not a critic, but I want to be a follower. I hope that's you today. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. And as we pray today, would you think about your life? your spiritual journey and maybe you see in your own life a reluctance sometimes to take a stand to declare your faith let this be a reminder let this be a reminder to let him have his way in our life our father as I pray today and as we pray today I thank you for this passage of scripture and I thank you for recording it for us these conversations Jesus had with these critics, those who were not interested in the truth, not interested in a relationship with you, more interested in their religion, more concerned about their friends. Lord, help us to learn about ourselves and not only just about them. And today, Father, I just want to thank you for making, by the Spirit of God who lives within us, making truth clear to us that we can say this, we know this is true. We know this came from God. It's not just of men. It came from God. Lord, we thank you for that today. While our heads are bowed today and while the piano plays, would you just take these few moments to think about your own life, Your response to Jesus, not just once, but daily, continually, today. When I look at these religious people who had no interest in the truth that Jesus was presenting, it troubles me. But it doesn't just trouble me about them. It troubles me when I see it in others. You may be here today and you need to be saved today. You want to be saved. You want somebody to talk to you about that. You could come right now today. I'll be right here to meet you. Say, I, I want someone to pray with me and talk with me.